I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Coming to you live from my mom's basement, of course. Sam's back in Western and Southern Studio. Sam, how you doing? What's up, Steve? How's it going? How's the basement? It's good. It's good. Like I said, it's a little little cluttered right now. A lot of movement over here. But um, it's all good. I'll be back in studio with you next week. I might even be able to tease a very special guest for middle of next week, next Wednesday. You're not going to want to miss that, but yeah, back to normal next week. Do you get let out of the basement, or do you, have you are you just stuck in there, like trapped? You got it. Your existence is now the basement until you you come back. No, I'm mobile. I'm okay. mobile. I can uh, I go to my uh, my bedroom. It's still intact <laughs> since uh, you know from when I was a child. I was uh-huh. tweeting out some of the dorky stuff that I had, like baseball stats cut out from 1990 and everything. Maybe I'll do that today. Show everybody how I. Uh, Ended up as the uh, nerd that I am today. Nice. Anyway, we've got some games to preview, Sam. Full slate here, so let's get into it. Um, Thursday Night Football, we haven't previewed it yet. We're doing it tonight, or today. Tonight's game is the New York Giants at the San Francisco 49ers. Niners are favored by 10.5. Two of the best players on the Giants are not playing. Andrew Thomas at left tackle. Saquon Barkley running back. The Giants have been, were putrid for the first six quarters of the NFL season, and then much better in the second half against the Cardinals last week. But it's uh, not a great-looking Thursday night matchup here, Sam. No. Uh, line is 10.5 in favor of San Francisco, and honestly, that, that looks kind of soft. Um, it's hard to imagine a way this game... I mean, from a Giants perspective, this game should look quite similar to the Dallas game, right? In terms of this is a nasty 49ers defense. They've got a really formidable defensive front. You don't have any offensive line. Your only good offensive lineman is hurt. Your star running back is now hurt, which means like the whole thing rests on the shoulder of Daniel Jones trying to find a deep bomb to Jalen Hyatt when he gets frustrated enough to ask for one. And that doesn't really seem like sustained success over the course of a game against San Francisco. No, you mentioned the uh, the offensive line. We have the Giants ranked dead last in our current offensive line rankings, and the 49ers' defensive front is has been as advertised. Right? It's it's not just Nick Bosa. It's a uh, Javon Hargrave coming over and the rejuvenated Javon Kinlaw. I mean, they've been much better up front across the board in San Francisco. But you're talking about uh, offensive line interior Mark Lewinsky, rookie John Michael Schmitz, gotten off to a slow start. Evan Neal. 43 grade through two weeks. We were kind of hoping, hey, you know, maybe year two things will be fixed there for Neil. Not great so far. So that's going to be difficult, I would say, to say the least. So you need, um, I don't know, superhuman effort from Daniel Jones. Um, Other side of the ball, I think the Giants, their defensive line should be much better. They're not, I don't think they've sacked the quarterback once. It might have one. Not that the sacks are the only thing here, Sam, but just disruption-wise, from Dexter Lawrence to Leonard Williams, Kayvon Thibodeau, 
they're just not playing up to their usual standard. Lawrence has the best grade on defense, and it's not close beyond that on yeah. the defensive line. No, I mean, I think one of the learnings or taking takeaways from the first couple of weeks for the Giants is that that defense might be an issue. Like, we kind of flagged this up in preseason. All the talk about how good the offense had been in training camp was also a potential red flag of how bad the defense had been. And that's kind of what's happened those first couple of weeks. That defense has not stopped anybody except for the second half against Arizona. I mean, let's remember, Cardinals got up to 28 points and then stopped scoring. Um, and that's why they were able to execute this comeback. So, But that's an Arizona team led by Josh Dobbs, who we expect to be terrible. So, yeah. But, you know, they got wrecked by Dallas. I kind of expect them to get wrecked by San Francisco as well. I just, across the board, this just feels like a game where the Giants are way overmatched. Yeah. Got a lawnmower going on over here. I don't know if how loud that is for our listeners, but uh, nice. bear with me here. Nice. Uh, Brandon Ayuk is questionable for the 49ers, but the story I've been telling is it's a different week. It's a it's a different playmaker that, that has the potential to step up. Brandon Ayuk was one of the best players in the NFL in week one. Week two, production wasn't there. Did have a deep ball where Brock Purdy overthrew him, but certainly even without Ayuk on a short week, Christian McCaffrey's leading the league in rushing. He's been running great. You've got George Kittle. You have Debo Samuel. Niners have enough playmakers here. Yeah, I mean, honestly, losing one of them just means somebody else is going off. <laughs> it only becomes a problem if they lose two or three of those guys in sequence in the same week. But, you know, Brandon Ayuk goes down. It means either George Kittle or Debo Samuel is going to go off and have a big day. If Debo goes down, it's Kittle or Ayuk. If Kittle goes down, it's one of the other two guys. Like that, it's just they don't have enough uh, – targets and touches to go around all the elite playmakers they have it's just a case of sharing the wealth all right man i think um the giants only shot i believe is their defensive line stepping up obviously they need to be able to cover they need to be able to play the run against the niners i think if dexter lawrence and in company you know, if there's a weakness for the Niners, it's the offensive line. They, if they can have some success up front, they can keep it close. But where are you going with this one? Ten and a half. It's a big number. Short week, Thursday night. And as we said, Giants have two of their key players absolutely out here in Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas. Yeah, I mean, it's a big number. And yet I still feel like San Francisco is is worth it. And then some. I mean, we saw what happened when they played Dallas. And honestly, the 49ers are in a similar plane to Dallas by the looks of it. So... Maybe it's not going to get that extreme, but I feel like it's still well over 10. Yeah, I'll take the Niners as well. They're at home, the short week. Yeah, I think there's a lot to like about San Francisco here, especially the way they're playing. Do they have Dallas in week four? Could this be uh, the old college look-ahead game? They have Dallas coming up at some point, so that'd be the only thing maybe working against the Niners on this one. Uh, yeah, no, week five. Week. week five okay forget it then um we're both taking the niners to cover the ten and a half mm -hmm. as a parent you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family how to do copious amounts of laundry meal plan for even the pickiest eater and now how to protect your family's financial future fabric by gerber life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs offering high quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on 
your schedule. You can go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting health questions. Is the lawnmower an issue over here? I can't tell. No, I don't hear it. That being said, oh, I'm really? you know, using the ISP, Oh, it's like so. loud in my ear. No, so I don't think I hear it. The mic the other people the mic does a good job. The people in the booth are a better position to pick up on that than I am with the IFB. Which is an earpiece for anyone that doesn't know, you know, fancy professional TV talk. <laughs> I'm hoping the mic's only picking me up, so that's good. All right. Um, you want to go to the Discord game of the week? Okay, we can do that. The uh, tell people about the Discord. Yeah, the, the link is in the description. Go to the Discord. We'll tweet it out at some point as well. It should be on the pinned tweet of the podcast Twitter channel as well, at uh, PFFNFLPod, I think. Um, yeah, go to the Discord. We've got a, a bunch of people in there already, a bunch of channels. One of the th- channels in there is just picking the NFL winners. Just vote for who you think is going to win. And the closest game every week will be the Discord game of the week, which we shall talk about up top, uh, most of the games this week are not close at all in terms of the vote. couple were reasonably close, and by far the closest is Titans-Browns, which is one vote between it at the moment. I like it. Tennessee Titans at the Cleveland Browns. Browns are favored by three and a half, coming off that disappointing loss on Monday Night Football. Titans coming off the overtime win against the Los Angeles Chargers last week. Yeah, I think there's a lot of fun matchups in this game, Sam, and it is it is a close game. I, we talked about you know Tennessee. We love raving about Tennessee and Mike Vrabel and the the coaching situation, the you know the the defensive line in Tennessee and what they've been able to do up front with uh, Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons. They were rushed the passer, you know, fantastic in Week One. Uh, they beat up the Chargers' offensive line last week as well. There's a lot to like about this matchup. And then the Browns with no Nick Chubb and Deshaun Watson, where, you know, two weeks into this thing, it looks like last year's Deshaun Watson. It looks like, you know, nothing has improved so far. And, it, you know, the we were doing panic meter the other day, Sam, for 0-2 teams. I I wonder where the panic meter is for Deshaun Watson. The Browns are 1-1 one one, despite Watson. They could not – they can't get out of their own way offensively right now because he's just so inconsistent taking too many negative plays yeah he is i mean he's not playing well um i kind of was a little bit more encouraged by him in that sealers game than i had been previously and i know the grade isn't good the production wasn't good but i thought he showed a little bit more in that game than he has for most of his time with the browns but it is wildly inconsistent there's a lot of mistakes in there which can't really happen if you're going to be a 230 million dollar quarterback uh, particularly when the foundation otherwise is good. Like, that defense looks amazing through two weeks. Um, the run game would have been incredible. Nick Chubb going down. We've, they've signed Kareem Hunt. Um, we've got Ford in there as well. Who knows what exactly that production is going to drop to without Nick Chubb, but the offensive line is really good. The run game should still be functional, and the receivers are there. Like, they might not be an elite group, Uh, top to bottom relative to some other teams in the NFL but Amari Cooper Elijah Moore Donovan Peoples-Jones is the you know the designated deep threat type of guy David Njoku they've got receivers so at this point really is on Deshaun Watson to just start playing better and get back towards the level that we know he can attain like it's not like 
We don't know that this exists. We know Deshaun Watson is capable of dramatically better play than he's shown for the Browns. He just needs to do it. Yeah, I don't know how much you touched on the numbers. Uh, I tweeted him out the other day, the numbers since Watson has joined the Browns. And look, I'm with you too. It's not just, hey, look at the grade Deshaun Watson's been trash on the field here. It There are definitely some positives. I do think he gives... Amari Cooper, a lot of opportunities to make plays down the field, which is huge. You do see some of those nice connections. But, you know, we, the the more we talk about sack totals and how those are on the quarterback, there's the, the stat that I tweeted the other day, Deshaun Watson's been sacked more than Patrick Mahomes over the last two years. I know those are two levels of extremes, but Watson's been suspended for 12 games <laughs> in the middle of that. There's he has a quarter of the dropbacks of Patrick Mahomes, and the Browns have a good offensive line, right? I think Jedrick Wills has struggled at left tackle for a few years now. The rest of the four are pretty good. You know they're pretty good in pass protection. Dewan Jones held his own in pass protection the other night, even though he had some help against T.J. Watt. Overall, pretty good. But Watson being ranked above 30th since joining the Browns in PFF grade, you know 36th in pass in passing grade. 32nd in big-time throws, Sam. Watson, early in his career, he would have some some bad plays, some turnover-worthy plays in there, but he also had big-time throws. He doesn't have those right now, but he does have the turnover-worthy plays. He's got the third-highest sack rate. Something has to change for the Browns because I think their defense is legit. Lost in the mix of Monday Night Football, the Browns have a top-three defense through two games so far this season. Mm Mm-hmm. And if they keep playing like that, they're going to win a lot of games as long as Watson doesn't, you know, turn it over and play as poorly as he has. No, their defense looks incredible. I mean, they're getting pressure up front. They're covering on the back end. I tweeted a stat that the average depth of tackle for a Browns linebacker so far through two games is the line of scrimmage. Like, it's it's exactly the line of scrimmage. They are not letting anybody get anywhere. And that's giving them a shot if they can just get any kind of production out of that offense. So... I feel like when you consider Tennessee's def- or offensive line already not good, Peter Skaronsky out for this game, um, the Browns' defense, I would expect, to do a really good number on Tennessee's offense. And then the whole game comes down to what Deshaun Watson and the Browns' offense can do on the other side. You're muted. How did that happen? There are some injuries on... The Cleveland side, too, uh, as of now. So we're recording on Thursday. So we have Wednesday's injury reports. Zedaria Smith, questionable. Jedrick Wills, left tackle, questionable. Sione Takitaki, linebacker, questionable. Amari Cooper, also questionable. And uh, Greg Newsom, questionable. So uh, there are some injuries on Cleveland side. But you mentioned Peter Skaronsky being hurt. And, you know, I don't know. I thought last week my disappointment in the Chargers. I thought last week the Chargers would challenge the Titans' offensive line a little bit more than they did. This is the week, though. The The Titans' offensive line that we have questions about will absolutely be challenged this week, especially with Skaronsky out. And um, it's, man, I, I think we might be seeing a low-scoring game here because Tennessee, I, I like what they've been doing defensively they did they had a nice game against the saints in week one they were pretty good against the chargers last week i think we're looking at a low scoring game and uh a bit of uh the old school heavyweight fight sam teams trying to run the ball and brown's trying to figure it out without nick chubb i think it's going to be a a fun one but probably you know one of those teens or low 20s type of game 
Yeah, I I certainly think that Cleveland's defense is going to slow down, if not stop, the Titans' offense. And then it's just what can they do on the other side? I feel like they can probably do a bit, so probably a low-scoring struggle. But I like Cleveland to ease away by the end of it. Xavier Newman is is the guy getting the start for Peter Skaronski. He has uh, 22 career snaps, undrafted free agent in 2022. So something to keep an eye on as far as the offensive line goes for the Titans. Uh, tale of two Tannehills so far this season. Horrible in week one, really good right. in week two. He'll be a big factor in this one. Uh, but again, I think lower scoring, close game. Where are you going with this one? Cleveland by three and a half, even without Nick Chubb. And 12 of those snaps came last week in which he gave up uh, a hurry and a penalty in 12 snaps. So not not a great sna- sna- uh, not a great result in small sample size. Um, I feel like the Browns are going to ease away late in the game and cover three and a half. Okay, I got Tennessee keeping it really tight. They, uh, they had a one-point loss in week one, a three-point overtime win in week two. I think we might be destined for a season of really close games for the Tennessee Titans week after week. All right, last week we did some some games of the week. Let's pull out some games of the week. By the way, the 4 o'clock slate, Sam, has me pulling my hair out. Just lopsided 4 o'clock games, and we have nine 1 o'clock games. I'm not happy with the schedule this week. But at 1 o'clock, the New Orleans Saints at the Green Bay Packers, another one of the better games of the week. Packers favored by two. Uh, Saints moved to 2-0 and on their with their Monday night football win. Packers fall to 1-1 one and one last week after losing to the Falcons. Disappointing loss. Had a chance to come back at the end. But uh, this should be a fun one. Saints, Packers, still trying to figure out what to make of Jordan Love for the Packers and Derek Carr for the Saints. Yeah. Jordan Love, I think, has looked good for Green Bay. But in both games, he's had not just misses, but, like, dangerous misses. Um, and that's... That's probably what he's going to be. And really the question is just how many of them are going to show up in any given game and will he get punished for them? Um, so he's he's led a bit of a charmed existence so far. The other element is the offensive line they have is great. I mean, they didn't have uh, David Bakhtiari last week and the offensive line was still fine. And certainly from a pass protection standpoint, it didn't do a good job run blocking last week, but it's a really good offensive line. Like they are setting Jordan Love up with success. And again, even though they haven't had Christian Watson in the lineup, the receivers have been good. Like, they're young receivers, whether it's the guys we expected to have or the rookies, Jaden Reed, um, Dontavian Wicks. Like, this is a good group of playmakers. And Jordan Love is a capable quarterback, even if he's making some risky decisions or some bad mistakes over the course of the game. I think Green Bay is a pretty decent team. They do look like a good team. And um, our, our guest next week, God willing, of course, could be, could be JT O'Sullivan. Because who knows where we're going to be next week, Sam? You never know. Who knows if um, we're even going to be alive it could, next it week? It could be JT O'Sullivan. It might be. We might have JT on here in the middle of the week next week. Uh, I was watching his breakdown of Jordan Love and the Packers, and the resounding theme was, kudos, Matt LaFleur. Good job, Matt LaFleur. You schemed this one open. This is third and one. It's wide open. This is red zone tap pass for a touchdown. This is red zone wide open in the flat for a touchdown. That's been kind of the disconnect between Jordan Love's six touchdowns, no picks, great passer rating, good EPA per play. There's a lot of well-schemed up plays. Kind of reminds me of a, a big chunk of the Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur era where Rodgers was be, you know handed touchdowns in the, in the red zone because I thought they schemed it up extremely well. So you're kind of seeing more of that from Green Bay. 
The challenge is going to be against the Saints here. Their defense has been really good. Titans in week one. Now, it was Bryce Young and the Panthers in week two, and we might look back at that and say, yeah, Bryce Young and the Panthers, they're just not doing anything this year. But the Saints are rushing the passer well. Carl Granderson has been one of the better defensive linemen in the league so far this year through two weeks. Cameron Jordan still looks good. That was our big question mark coming into the season, Sam, right? Can Cam Jordan not have drop-off at this point in his career? Carl Granderson, can he step up? Can some of the young guys step up? Brian Brissie's had some good snaps. So I, the Saints' defense is legit. Marshawn Lattimore's playing like the, the all-pro that he's capable of. Marcus May is out, right? He's going to be suspended for three games. I don't know if he challenged that, but um, Demario Davis flying around making plays. I love the way the Saints' defense is playing. And then on the other side, I will continue to buy into the Saints' offense because I love their playmakers. Chris Olave, that diving catch he made the other night, that's how you flip the field, man. Chris Olave is a star. Rashid Shaheed, Michael Thomas, I'm just going to list them out every single week because they can all make plays. To me, it's about Derek Carr, his consistency, especially in the red zone. One of these days, though, the Saints' offense is going to go off because they have all the pieces. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Derek Carr has not been playing particularly well, but we know he's capable of playing way better than that. Like, if, if it actually does click with Derek Carr and he starts playing as he's capable of with that group of receivers, he can have a huge performance. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we've been all focusing on the, the Saints, the actual running backs for the Saints. But, like, Taysom Hill is a legitimate power back for that team and is averaging 6.6 .6 yards per carry. Like, the... The Taysom Hill thing is a bit of a meme and a joke, but I think as a power back, Taysom Hill is a good NFL running back. Forget tight end, forget quarterback. He's a good running back, even if they deploy him in a slightly weird way with those you know, direct snaps and technically quarterback alignment on a play. Like He is a productive rusher for them, which is a big thing because their backfield has been depleted and they're missing players and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's it's noteworthy, man, because like I, I think I said a couple weeks ago, Derek Carr in the red zone has not been good. I said it earlier today, too. When you do mix up Taysom Hill, especially when you get into the scoring area, it might take a little bit of pressure off Carr. He's got to make some plays there, though. He's got to make some plays in, in the red zone because I think the Saints have the firepower. Uh, Green Bay's defensive line. Fun matchup against the Saints offensive line who ha they've struggled a bit. That's part, part of maybe what them leaving a little bit of meat on the bone offensively in New Orleans. So, again, I love the matchup. I think it's two good, solid teams. Always comes down to quarterback play, and I'm not sure what to make of Derek uh, Derek Carr and Jordan Love just yet. They're both, they've are both they both been fine. Um, so I think it'll be a good back-and-forth matchup here. Green Bay by two in Lambeau. Where are you going with this one? Yeah, the Packers' defense already has six different players with at least five pressures through two weeks. Um, that is a potentially imposing unit it's it's becoming the team it's becoming the defense we thought it was going to be last year effectively like potentially capable of terrorizing opposing offenses and it didn't do it a year ago maybe this is the year it's going to do it um i like i like this green bay team i'm buying into what i've seen from them the first couple of weeks so i think green bay is gonna cover the two at home all right i'll take i'll take the saints man i'm i'm really feeling good about the saints the way they're playing defense and there's a there's a breakout week. I'm going to predict their breakout week, like I predict Jameis Winston breakout seasons. I believe. I, I think that's this is the week the Saints offense breaks out, even though it's a good, pretty good Packers defense there. Okay. All right. So that's our other game of the week. I'll take the Saints. You'll take the Packers. I think another great game 
this week is 0-2 Chargers versus the 0-2 Minnesota Vikings. This might be max entertainment game of the week, Sam. The Which team? Somebody has to avoid falling to 0-3 lest we get a tie here. But you've got the Chargers who come into the season always with high expectations and then the Vikings trying to do their competitive rebuild deal. Chris Kirk Cousins playing pretty well at quarterback, but uh, everything besides the pass game in Minnesota, bit of a question mark through two weeks. What are you looking for in this game, Chargers and Vikings? Um, the Minnesota Vikings currently have by far the highest blitz rate in the NFL. Um, so that, I think, is going to be an interesting thing to, to look at. Like, they don't have a particularly good defense. Brian Flores goes with that aggressive uh, type of team, that type of uh, approach. I don't know. They're also using that sort of three safety look that a few teams are dabbling with now, that kind of three, uh, three, five look, but the five is three safeties, not, um, not the way it usually deploys in the NFL. So how that whole defense, Brian Flores and that system goes up against Kellen Moore and Justin Herbert and this Chargers offense is to me the biggest thing to watch in this game. Um, for me, it's the uh, Chargers. Can they get pressure? every single week of you know khalil mack still disappointed that he has not been able to bounce back the chargers defense third time i'll cite this on the podcast this week averaging over 10 yards per attempt against that defense opposing quarterbacks so the way kirk cousins is playing he took an absolute beating against the eagles the other night still kept ticking with justin jefferson with jordan addison yeah i mean even if the chargers get pressure you're still not having a huge effect on on minnesota's pass game so i Unless something changes for the Chargers, there there could be a lot of success here for the Minnesota pass game, the way they're playing. TJ Hawkinson, right? They they have built it in a way where you can have games where Justin Jefferson goes off. You can have games where you have Jordan Addison, you have TJ Hawkinson, you have these other options. Minnesota traded for Cam Akers, basically for the conditional, conditional, almost nothing this week. So Minnesota's run game, which has been non-existent through two weeks, I'm sure they'll try to run a little bit, but it still comes down to they're moving the ball through the air. They'll have opportunities there. And if Cousins plays mistake-free, I think it's going to be tough for the Chargers to stop Minnesota's pass game. Yeah, Cousins has 708 yards through two games. Um, you know, Tua put up 466 in one game and only leads Cousins by seven yards over the two games. Cousins also has six touchdowns. Um, like, that offense has been extremely productive. Yeah, so I think that's uh, that side of the ball. I think the Chargers offense, it's another my, maybe my weekly prediction. The Chargers offense is going to click, man. They they ran the ball really well in week one against Miami. Uh, Justin Herbert's average depth of targets right around 10 through two weeks. It's th That's a descriptive stat. It's not a you know quality of play stat, but one we've used a lot to describe Justin Herbert and his style of play. So after an offseason or two, three straight years of him throwing the ball underneath, underneath, underneath for the most part, they are throwing the ball down the field. And, it, you know, I think what I've seen with him throwing the ball down the field, he's he's got to read it out a little bit better. He's got to take the right uh, chances. There were a couple big plays that they were able to flip the field last week with Keenan Allen down the field. I think they're going to start hitting a few more of those per game. Watch out, Quentin Johnston, they're, they're going to start using him a little bit more vertically. I, I think the big plays are right on the cusp there for the Chargers. And the offense has been fine. Remember, we said they 
they're scoring points and they're not turning it over. They usually that leads to wins and it has not through two weeks because the defense has been so bad. But I think the Kellen Moore, Justin Herbert experiments has been solid so far. And I think any given week, there's a chance for fireworks. So Sam, does this look a lot like last week's Eagles Vikings game where it's not so much the Vikings falling behind, but two teams kind of back and forth putting points on the board. I think we, I think we're looking at a high scoring game here and, Two teams fighting to not fall to 0-3, a disaster, potential disastrous start for one of these teams here. Yeah, um, and I don't I don't feel good about either way. I guess I would lean Minnesota, but don't love it at all. Every time you lean Minnesota, I think the the opposite happens, mm. right? Every time they've got it. that big – they had the big spread. The, they were favored big in week one, and they blow it. They they were big underdogs last week, and they sneak in to, to cover the six – Minnesota's favored by one in this game, so it's basically a toss-up in Minnesota. I'm going to go Chargers, though, because I'm never going to quit you, Chargers. Never. Do I predict predict the big breakout this week as well for the Chargers, the mm. same way I'm going to for the Saints? Yeah. One not? of these weeks, that offense is really going to go off. They've already played pretty well, but they'll go off even more at some time soon here. So you're taking Minnesota? Yep. All right. Those are our games of the week. We're back with another week of football. DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single game day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. We have all customers who can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action. So download the app now and sign up with code PFF. New customers can bet just $5 to get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PFF. Crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Licensed partner, Golden Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See sportsbook.com.draftkings.com slash football. Terms for eligibility. Terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. It's a lot, a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, there is. <clears throat> we need to get, right, you know, we need to get that under control, people. And I don't mean like the terms and conditions, people. I mean the world. We need to come together and ensure that there are not that many one terms number. and conditions. There, there, there should be, be one international number for gambling problem. Can make that happen. Can somebody make that happen? Mm-hmm. No? All right, great. All right, let's go through the rest of the 1 o'clock games, starting with the Buffalo Bills at the Washington Commanders. The 2-0 and Washington Commanders coming off the big comeback win last week against the Denver Broncos. Sam Howell looking really good. And then the Bills back to the road. We've seen the Bills twice this year, obviously, all teams, but struggled week one offensively against the Jets because of Josh Allen turnovers. Bounced back last week, really handed it to the Las Vegas Raiders, which Buffalo Bills team are we going to get this week? Uh, Vegas believes the Bills are by far the better team here. Six and a half, their favorite on the road against the Commanders. Yeah, last week looked a lot more like the Buffalo we expected to see. But now, you know, having seen that week one, any game now is a Josh Allen kind of going into it. You're like, is this going to be good Josh Allen or bad Josh Allen? Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde? Like, which one are we going to get? Um, I tend to assume that 
it'll be the good one most weeks, but we now know at any given moment Josh Allen can basically implode and not stop himself from doing it. So that's something to you know look out for in any of these games. And Washington has the kind of defensive front to force some of those mistakes. You know, they've got a lot of weapons up front. Uh, Chase Young coming back only adds to that group. You know, finally the looking a little bit like the player we expected him to be coming into the NFL, albeit just sort of, you know, right at the, right at the start of his return. But if he's back, if Deron Payne is, is good, if Jonathan Allen is able to cook, like that's a really imposing group that can cause Buffalo's offense some real problems. And any quarterback is going to struggle more under pressure than they are usually, even though Josh Allen is one of the best in the NFL generally in his career at dealing with pressure. Man, that's going to be my weekly matchup to watch, this Washington defensive line. You just laid it out. But Chase Young in particular made his NFL or his season debut last week. I thought he looked pretty explosive. You know, he he tracked down Russell Wilson on a sack. Um, he had a bit of a late hit on Russell Wilson. But the burst in twitchiness looked there for Chase Young, I think for the first time, maybe since his rookie season. And if remember, Chase Young, the, the commanders turned down his fifth-year option. So he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And the other guy that's a free agent at the end of the year is Montez Sweat on the other side, who's have who has similar production. Montez Sweat will probably see a lot of Spencer Brown at right tackle. And uh, left tackle Deion Dawkins, after a rough preseason, looks back to Deion Dawkins' form. He's solid at left tackle. Uh, but right tackle Spencer Brown, I think he's the guy to keep an eye on here. Montez Sweat is really good, long, and effective. And that D-line for Washington... Yeah, can really cause some havoc for the Bills. And like you said, it comes down to what's Josh Allen going to do? Our, I think it's going to be lazy analysis here, Sam. If Josh Allen just plays within himself, doesn't make the bad mistakes, Buffalo's better, right? I mean, most yeah. weeks, Buffalo's going to be better. Josh Allen will make some special throws. They've got tough guys to cover. They have a good, solid defense. But if Allen turns it over, he's letting any team back into it. Absolutely. I mean, that's their biggest thing in any given week is – is Josh Allen going to do that? And we know, I think that that week one, the reason it was so important is not because it's going to happen every single week, but it's because we know it can happen in any given week and he can't stop it happening if it's going to happen. Like, it's it's just that knife edge of, are you going to get that Josh Allen rushing to the surface in any given game? But if they don't, they are comfortably the better team. They are a team that we expect to be contending at the business end of the season. And Washington, as much as they've impressed the first couple of weeks, I don't think they're there. Um, you know, Sam Howell has been impressive, I think, made a lot of good plays, been aggressive as well. Like, done. Sam Howell's kind of doing the job that we thought Taylor Heineke might do when he came into the lineup of just pushing it, being a little bit aggressive, relying on your abilities a little bit, and letting guys like Terry McLaurin go and make a play. Over the last couple of years, Terry McLaurin has been the best contested catch receiver in the NFL, and they're leaning into that. They're saying, you know, put the ball in the air. Give him a shot. And, yeah, if it's into tight coverage, we back you to make that play. Go and make it. The problem with Heineke is he didn't for some reason. He went from being like what looked like a mini Fitzpatrick when he first got on the field to then all those big plays dried up, and he was just giving you the bad ones. But right now, Sam Howell has been doing those, and he's a bit more of a threat on the ground. I, kinda, I mean, I like the Washington offense, but I think on both sides of the ball, Buffalo has a little bit too much. 
Yeah, the commander's offense has been interesting here. They're running Brian Robinson quite a bit, almost 20 carries in both games. He's been good and effective. I think Buffalo's run defense is always kind of hit or miss. They were much better last year. It wasn't like there, there was a few years stretch, Sam. Remember, they were just so undersized and they play light boxes and teams would have success running against them. The Jets did that in week one a little bit. Brees Hall breaking off at least one big play, a couple other plays in there. Curious if Washington does try to slow the game down a little bit. I think they have the ability to move the ball on the ground against Buffalo. So I think that matchup's one to watch. And then the Sam Howell thing that you said, he just started making big-time throws yesterday, uh, or last week. Right before the half, cover two shot that sets up a field goal, the, the incredible perfect throw to Terry McLaurin in the end zone. If Sam Howell doesn't take those negative plays, man, his sack rate is still through the roof. There's still too many times he's holding on to the ball, not an offensive line situation, much like Fields. He's holding the ball way too long. But the difference is Sam Howell's creating big plays now. He's cre- he's giving the McLaurin plays, like you said. He's throwing the ball down the field. I think we have a fun game here because the commanders can they can hang tough because they can run it a little bit. If Howell keeps making those throws, it's close. They got the D line to keep it to keep it tight. Six and a half, man. Kind of a big number, but where you, where are you going on this one? It is a healthy number. Um, I think the Bills can cover that, though, even on the road. Yeah, I think the I think the Bills might just be a team that's different at home. They have those games where they are so dominant at home the last couple of years. I'll, I'll take Washington to keep it close. I like Buffalo probably to win. I think they're a better team, but six and a half. Give me the commanders, man. I'm talking it myself into them keeping this tight next week, this week. Where are we? Houston Texans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jags are favored by nine. Houston is just absolutely beat up. And uh, Derek Stingley just reported we have a hamstring injury. He's going on IR, which is unfortunate. Um, Jacksonville, every single week, we're going to be talking about their receiver matchups against opposing cornerbacks. This makes it just that much more difficult for the Texans. Uh, C.J. Stroud making his third career start here. First time going against the division rival. Jaguars nine points here for the Jags coming off uh, an eight-point loss to the Chiefs last week yeah uh, Stroud on the injury report as well with a shoulder I think but that was the case last week as well and then he came out there and you know threw for over 300 yards so I wouldn't be too concerned about Stroud the key to the game really is what we talked about coming out of last week which is like can Houston avoid getting in that negative game flow state can they avoid getting down multiple scores early where the entire game plan has to change and they have to air it out and go crazy and you know just start throwing the ball and just making everybody's life more difficult um but the collection of receivers the Texans have are quietly playing starting to emerge as a really nice group I mean Nico Collins had a huge game last week he's sort of maybe on his way to a big breakout but Tank Dell was their leading receiver in terms of targets now that he's been bumped up the depth chart. Robert Woods, not where he used to be when he was, you know, one of the better receivers in the NFL with the Rams, but is looking way more like that guy than the Tennessee version of Robert Woods. That as a trio is a really nice group of receivers. Even beyond them, there's flashes of talent. You know, John Mechie caught his first pass after his cancer um, diagnosis and, and battle after he got drafted. So, the Texans have got weapons to play with, and Stroud has shown last week that he's able to drop back and heave the ball around, and there may be some bad plays in there as well, but you know they can be productive on offense. Uh, the thing working against them, though, is that, I mean, Jacksonville lost that game to Kansas City. Okay, 
It was an eight-point loss. When you start diving in, one of the big things sort of in vogue at the moment amongst the nerds, you know, the, the real analytics people, is yeah. these kinds of, like, adjusted score, right? Like, oh, your actual score was this, but who, who was winning the game morally? Who had the moral victory in the game statistically, right? And they're kind of adjusting based what off— What was the real win? Yeah, like based off all these pieces of information, who was actually the better team in the game, no matter what the score said. And all those kind of data points say that like, Jacksonville should have won that game comfortably, which, I mean, look, the, the, the concept is a little ridiculous, right? But it tallies with what you saw in that four separate times uh, Trevor Lawrence put the ball in the hands of his receivers in the end zone-ish, right? And they couldn't quite get the feet down, so it's not a touchdown. And, okay, one of those, it's just those are football plays. They bounce your way. They don't bounce your way. But when you do it four times and they all bounce the other way, those are the kinds of plays that change the outcomes of games, right? So it's not that you say, well, look, it's a wit for Jacksonville, but it shows that they might actually be better than that score indicates. And if they are, this is a real formidable team for uh, Houston to go up against. That's that's what people think of PFF sometimes, right? Yeah. But you just said about the, uh, the actual score. You described why, right? I mean, again, we're not saying, hey, just miss. It's, it's just contextually... The Jags were right there. There's one other thing that stood out to me. Um, the Jags secondary, we have a stat called perfectly covered plays. You look at each player, you know, are there is there anybody open? The Jags defense has been one of the best at just uh, playing coverage, play-by-play on the back end, leaving few options for opposing quarterbacks. That's a bit of a surprise. I mean, that's Tyson Campbell and Darius Williams and Trey Herndon all playing pretty well. Andre Sisco has made some ball-hawking-type plays on the back end so far this season i keep being concerned about the jags pass rush it's usually josh allen and friends josh allen is questionable in this game uh you should be able to have success against this texans offensive line laramie tunsell probably back at left tackle but if whether josh allen can go or not i think the jags just need more up front they need something from trayvon walker they need those former first rounders to step up again i'm a broken record but I think that matchup will be interesting because you mentioned the success the Texans receivers have had. Jags are playing well in their back seven. And you probably weren't expecting just a 17-9 to game against the Chiefs last week. But that was the type of battle that they played. So to all those points, I think the Jags will, will find out. They were good offensively in week one. Quirky stuff in week two. I think they'll put points on the board. Trevor Lawrence is playing well despite the stats last week. The matchup to watch for me, rookie battle, Will Anderson rushing against Anton Harrison at right tackle for the Jags. Harrison's had some struggles. The other Jags have had some struggles up front as well. Um, So see if the Texans can get some pressure. But I like the Jags against a banged-up Texans defense. Jags should put points on the board. They're at home, favored by nine. Where are you going in this one? Uh, I'm buying into this idea that Jacksonville are better than they showed last week, even though they ran the Chiefs fairly close. So I think they're going to be way too much for Houston. Yeah, I'll say that as well. Uh, I don't know that Derek Stingley being hurt is going to change the line a whole lot. It might might make it a half point or something. But yeah, I'll take the Jags to cover the nine uh, as we're live right now. Mm-hmm. All right, Denver Broncos going to Miami. Dolphins favored by six and a half. It's Miami's home opener here. Right. In week three. And uh, we didn't, you know, September in Miami, Sam, we always know weird stuff happens and guys get tired, even though you're coming from high altitude. That's always a factor in the Miami heat. Uh, Broncos 0-2 in 
going up against the 2-0 Miami Dolphins. Six and a half is the spread here, Sam. Yeah, uh, Russell Wilson, um, Sean Payton talking about simplifying, you know, the verbiage, getting cutting down the playbook, cutting down the maybe forcing Russ into wearing the armband that he didn't want to wear. And uh, was it Seattle or Denver? He didn't want to wear the armband. Either way, didn't want to wear the wristband uh, with the play calls on it. Some things are changing. Um, and look, this Denver offense has not been terrible. It has been better than a yeah. year ago. Like, I don't know if we're just conditioned now into thinking that Russ stinks. Uh, but it hasn't been a train wreck. Like, it has improved. But that whole thing is going to be a drama from start to finish. Like, the Sean Payton's way of doing things and Russell Wilson's, you know, how he reacts to things and whether he's going to have stuff forced upon him that didn't necessarily happen either in Seattle or at his first year in Denver. That whole dynamic is always going to be fascinating to watch. But every week with Miami, it's going to be, does anybody have an answer for what the hell they're doing on offense? Because so far, nobody has. Just to touch on Russ a little bit, because we've analyzed and overanalyzed and everything, based off a lot of the reports coming out of Seattle and how for years they had success, obviously, with Russell Wilson, but they also felt limited, right? They felt like they can't do everything you have to game plan a certain way you have to play to his strengths maybe more than some other quarterbacks you can't let him do it all i wonder how much that's the factor because you kind of feel it in games i mentioned this in the review show the first two games the broncos offense has had spurts where they looked really good now those spurts usually coincide with marvin mims playing football right the good broncos offense is usually marvin mims is on the field and we're chucking it deep but even beyond that in week one, Denver looked good pretty well early on, and then things tapered off. Last week, they got off to a hot start, and things tapered off. I guess my point is, Sean Payton needs to learn. He's going to learn, and the Broncos coaching staff's going to learn what what's going to make Russ tick. What's going to get a full game of consistency out of him? Because what we've seen so far is probably half the t- half the time Denver's offense is is looking good, and the other half not so much. They got to figure that stuff out. So maybe that's the simplification and everything they're talking about this week. But there's definitely points where Denver's cooking and Russ is cooking and other times where he's not seeing it. He's taking negative plays. He's checking down early. A lot of the stuff we saw last year. That's the thing I'm keeping an eye on for Denver is when, because I think there could be a point, Sam, where they click, right? There could be a point where it clicks and they put the full game together and it looks it looks much better for Denver. But I think they're going to have to be aggressive. They're going to have to be throwing the ball down the field and trying to keep up with this Miami offense that has been just so good. Everything's quick, everything's fast, and two is running the show extremely well right now. All the offensive line issues we worried about with Miami, it's not there because two is getting rid of the ball. Right. They're blocking pretty well anyway. In that, um, you know, we use that time to throw metric a lot as a descriptor. Two is getting rid of the ball quicker than anybody and throwing the ball down the field more than anybody. Good luck covering that because two is playing well. And, of course, the speed receivers, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Mike McDaniel moving them all around. It's been real difficult to stop so far. Yeah, I mean, it's painting a picture. Like, the offensive line doesn't matter if the ball is coming out faster than anybody else in the NFL. And that would be problematic on its own if it wasn't coupled with the fact that the ball, like, those things are not supposed to work in tandem. Generally speaking, the quicker you're getting the ball out of your hands, the shorter the average depth of target is, right? Tua has, is it the longest average depth of target? No, one of the second longest average, no, joint, joint longest. 
the longest average depth of target in the NFL and the fastest average time to throw in the NFL. Those two things are not supposed to work in concert. In fact, they generally work diametrically opposed to each other. So everybody is just running free in the defense at the moment for Miami. They Everybody's wide open. They're instantly wide open. And Tua's just dropping back, and it's like a... Like a carnival. He's just, you know, hitting coconuts. It's easy for him. So Denver needs to come up with some answers to that because through two games, nobody else has. Um, and then the flip side is, you know, what can Russ do in this offense? And, you know, are they going to do what we were calling for coming out of last game, scale up the workload of Marvin Mims? Because he's clearly a viable deep threat. Uh, and more to the point, he's quite also clearly their third best receiver, minimum. So get him out there more. Uh, Tyree Kill has an ankle injury. He's questionable. Jalen Phillips, maybe the best pass rusher on Miami, also is questionable with a back injury. Teron Armstead, the left tackle, limited participation, questionable as well. We'll see if he comes back for Miami. But um, oh, Jalen Waddle as well. They're not too worried about him, but he's got the he's got the concussion protocol. I think, I think he they're lean. I I think the percentages are higher that he's going to play rather than not play. But just something to keep an eye on for Miami because. I don't think that offense is fragile if you lose a Waddle or a Tyree kill, but certainly they might be the most fragile in the NFL. It's so dependent on speed and, and having two guys that you can't cover, and that opens everything up for Braxton Berrios and River Craycraft and everything. I mean, but it starts with the speed, and it starts with Tua's you know quick-hitting decision-making. And, oh, by the way, Raheem Mostert also in his 4-3 speed uh, forcing missed tackles now and creating big plays as well. Miami is so tough to stop, and they haven't played a home game yet. I, I think that's an under. They're two and zero, winning two tough games on the road. So Miami's favored by six and a half. Man, I don't know if that's too much here, but I don't know where you're going with this one. I initially thought Denver was my first instinct. I might go Miami though. Yeah, I'm buying into Miami. I just I haven't seen anybody come close to dialing up a solution for what they're doing on offense at the moment. Mike McDaniel found the next step of the evolution of that offense, and it took teams half a season last year to figure out how to counter it. It might take them half a season again, which means you know, for the first eight weeks of the year, nobody's slowing down that offense. All right, let's go to New England Patriots at the New York Jets. Patriots favored by three and a half on the road against the Jets. Patriots are 0-2, Jets 1-1 after that walk-off punt return for a touchdown in Week 1 on Monday Night Football. But it's Zach Wilson against the New England Patriots. i got those stats handy here to mention in a minute. Perfect. Not great. I mean, not great overall in his career, but especially against the Patriots. I think for New England, it feels like a game, if they don't win this, they're in serious trouble. I think they have the Cowboys coming up. I mean, they're in serious trouble. But um, New England has done a lot of good things this year so far in two weeks. But they, you know, they played the Eagles and the in the Dolphins, where we might look back and say, "Hey, that's two of the best teams in the NFL." That's a rough start. Yeah, um, I mean, poor Zach Wilson. Like clearly, he wasn't going to be the answer at any point this season. The idea was for him to sit, maybe learn from Aaron Rodgers, and maybe in next year or two years' time, he could be ready to take over. And it wasn't a complete busted uh, draft pick. But him being thrown back in immediately, you know, with Aaron Rodgers going down, and then that sequence looking like Buffalo, Dallas, New England, back to back to back, I mean, it's just harsh. We know he's not ready for that. Like, that's why he doesn't have the job in the first place. Uh, so, 
unfortunately for him, I don't see it going any other way than what we've seen already, which is fairly catastrophic. I mean, he's going to make some mistakes. He's going to do the whole seeing ghost thing that Sam Darnold did back in the day. And they're going to get nothing on offense. Like if Brees Hall doesn't have an amazing day by himself or Garrett Wilson is able to take one play, you know, 70 yards or whatever, I don't know how the Jets move the ball, really. Zach Wilson's career against the Patriots, we have a 51% completion percentage, 6.3 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, seven interceptions. I believe that's across three games in a 35.8 PFF grade. Yikes. It's not good. It's not. And not only is it not good, but again, there was, uh, I think in their first game last year was the point I made. I was like, why does Zach Wilson feel like every time he's throwing the ball, he's standing next to the sideline? Like, how did he get there? And you, you talked about the seeing ghosts thing. He was leaving clean pockets. He was also under pressure, but he was leaving clean pockets and just rolling right. And there was no rhythm and there was just nothing to it. Yeah. Now, He's been a little bit better this year. I keep saying he's been like a little bit better this year, but it's a history of um, struggles against Bill Belichick's defense in New England. Patriots have a solid pass rush. The Jets' offensive line has also just been rough. Um, Even if Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, I think we'd be sitting here in week three saying, how big of a concern is this Jets' offensive line for Aaron Rodgers, right? For Aaron Rodgers to consistently uh, put up numbers and, and move the ball. And so that's all the more of an issue for Zach Wilson. The Jets' best bet, I think, is what you said. I, they got to run Brees Hall. I mean, I, I don't say this very often, but, like, get that dude 20 carry. Get get your speed, big play guy 20 carries and hope he breaks a 50-yarder or two. And that's your best bet. And then all you need is Zach Wilson to hit two or three big plays, <laughs> hopefully, like he did last week, right? He had the one nice rhythm throw to Garrett Wilson, takes it 70 yards. And, and that's how you do it. Right. And then the Jets, they do have a good defense. They do have an excellent defensive line i think both sides of the ball here sam patriots offensive line's not playing well jets offensive line's not playing well two good pass rushes might see another low scoring game where the defenses dominate yeah i I agree with that i think the new england side is going to be more interesting though i think they at least have the potential to move the ball and make some plays and you know they've been really good in the red zone so far they just haven't been there that often I think that New England offense can still function. Right. Now, the Jets' defense is potentially nasty, particularly up front, and that's going to – they'll really stress that New England offensive line, which isn't as strong as it usually is and maybe isn't as strong as it's going to be this year when everybody is healthy. Uh, so that might be their single biggest problem. But I, I do feel like they at least have the potential to have a viable offense in this game. I don't even think that's on the table necessarily for the Jets. Yeah, the Jets' defense – it. It's kind of, I'm not saying they're at the Legion of Boom level, but they're they're the team that has the good pass rush, really good coverage on the back end. They're going to play, you know, a lot of zone. And I do feel like the Patriots have the game plan against that. It was what, what the Cowboys did last week, right? Dak had 31 completions for about 250-something yards, taking all the underneath stuff. And that's what the Patriots have been doing so far, getting getting the ball out of Mac Jones' hands, taking everything underneath. They don't really have a take the top off the defense type of receiver anyway. So it feels like the Jets' defense might play into New England's hands anyway. Patriots will move the ball, I think, throwing the ball underneath. And um, Jets are just going to need to, I mean, every single week while Zach Wilson's the quarterback, either something completely changes drastically for him or they're going to need to dominate the turnover battle, break a couple big plays on the ground. It's just a very fine line, I think, to win games for the Jets, even with a good defense. So 
I like New England. I like the the history New England has had against Zach Wilson. I think is um, is real. Yeah, and it's going to be a struggle for that Jets offense. I'll take New England to cover the two and a half on the road. Same. There is. I, I would need quite a large number <laughs> to be backing away from that, given what we expect to happen to Zach Wilson. Just and just so we're clear at what's at stake here, new if New England loses and falls to zero and three, you I mean that sky is falling type of territory. If they lose to a Zach Wilson led team, there's they're already talking about Bill Belichick being overrated and losing his job, and we're on this tightrope of Bill Belichick hot seat. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying this is what's at stake this week. For the New England Patriots. And if yeah. the Jets bounce back and go to two and one, we're like, hey, you know, maybe maybe they can ride this thing out and get to the playoffs and Aaron Rodgers, you know, super healing comes back for a playoff run. So there's a lot at stake for this one week three matchup, I think, for both teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, remember, there's a weird ass game where Zach Wilson was like relatively decisive and efficient against Buffalo and got a win, right? Like if he yeah. has one of those freaky games out of nowhere where he just just doesn't do anything catastrophic and they win the game i mean that that buys him a lot of wiggle room like he can stink for a while longer and not go to the bench which is basically what he's battling against at the moment is how long does he have before they go can't have this any longer i don't care who starts a quarterback next week it just isn't going to be him call gardner Minshew. i loved your uh we did a a, a little video with our friends at 33rd team where you may have suggested Jameis Winston. I, you know, I love the, uh, the ideas. Maybe the jets do try to salvage their season. All right, we'll get to the next game, but first our next great partner over here is AG one, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. It's an everyday drink. I drink it every morning. It's where I get all my nutrients to start the day. Love starting it with my coffee. Coffee and AG1. That's how you kick the day off, Sam. Get all your nutritional bases covered every single morning. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. I used to take care of my body pretty well. Always ate well. I wish I had AG1 when I was an athlete, but I'm a huge fan. I get all my uh, nutrients, as I said, because there's 75 of those high-quality ingredients that give me everything I need for energy, focus, strength, and clarity. Do this every single day. Everything's better. And I love that it's cost just less than $3 a day. It's a pretty good deal, if you ask me. Daily habits that lead to winning every single day. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag, the number one, dot com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. So just to All clarify, right, when you say yeah. you like it with your coffee, you mean it's two separate drinks, right? You're not mixing that into the coffee? That's correct. That Got is it. correct. I uh, Coffee in one hand, AG1 in the other, they're, uh, they're compliments. Gotcha. Drink water, a gotcha. lot of drinks in the morning. You want to hydrate, get your nutrients, get your caffeine. That's how I do it. But probably not all combined at the same time. That's just... I haven't tried it. Yeah, I just don't think it would you be could, great. Not all combined at the same time. You right. could sip. You could sip from different... Sure. Cups, yeah. obviously, but not combined all at the same time. No. Absolutely not. You could try it though. Absolutely you know, somebody try. Somebody throw can some give mayo in there. I, I don't. I'm. I'm not going to be the person that that experiments with it. But if you want to give it a shot and let us know how it works, by all means. <laughs> Hashtag. Let us know. Mm. All right. Let's go. Uh, Atlanta Falcons at the Detroit Lions. The two and zero Atlanta Falcons going to Detroit. Lions coming off a disappointing overtime loss 
against the Seattle Seahawks. The Falcons just held on tight against the Green Bay Packers last week to move to 2-0. and It's a fun matchup, man. It's a battle of the two teams that drafted first-round running backs. We got Bijan Robinson versus Jameer Gibbs. Probably see a lot more of Jameer Gibbs from the Detroit Lions with David Montgomery's injury. What's the spread here? Three points for the Lions, favored by three at home. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, the the Jameer Gibbs thing is going to be interesting. I mean, they now have an opportunity to scale up his workload a bit, albeit in a different role that I don't think they really envisage for him with David Montgomery um, hurt. So, I mean, look, it's two weeks. It's it's a bit early to be taking victory laps on anything. But after two weeks, my suggestion that talking up a player's like unique role in an offense, he's going to be offensive weapon trademark, not you know receiver or running back. It's all, it always sounds better than it ends up being, right? And Jameer Gibbs right now, I mean, he had nine targets and ended up with 39 yards last week. Like, that's, I mean, it's useless. Like that's not doing you any good as an offense. That's not an offensive weapon or a playmaker. That's just the dump off consistently. Um, and as a runner, he didn't really go anywhere either. And now, look, I think he's a talented player. I just think when you try and overcomplicate this, it doesn't work. Uh, whereas the Falcons are generally just using B. John Robinson as a running back, and it turns out he's amazing at that, so it's working way better. Um, so, you know, just another week of seeing what they're going to try and do with Jameer Gibbs, given how relatively underwhelming his deployment and his efficiency has been in the first two weeks. You know, at, at the same time, I would I would be more concerned if they were trying to force 25 touches Jameer Gibbs' way every single week. And and that goes back. We'll go, you know, that's the whole why draft a running back that high. If you have to justify it by by forcing touches, then you're taking away, if you're Detroit, you're taking away a couple deep shots from Khalif Raymond, which seemed to work as they did last week. Right. You're taking away Amonra St. Brown. You're taking away the even Josh Reynolds, right? Josh Reynolds, the mid-tier receiver, is going to create more big plays than Jameer Gibbs over time because he's a receiver. It's just that it's so you don't want to just force the running back. I'm waiting for the game where Gibbs does go off because that's how the matchups dictate things, right? They have a great matchup against the linebacker and he catches eight passes for 90 yards or uh, whatever it might be. Um, what I'm curious about is I don't think they trust him in David Montgomery's role. Yeah. Right. They have the problem, used him right? in completely. I tweeted out the run concepts yesterday. They're not going to use him between the tackles. So they might, but they don't seem to trust him yet. They're getting him out wide on those pin and pull sweep type of concepts, which are great, but that can't be the only way that Gibbs runs the ball. So that's what I'm interested in. Do they keep him as a, we just want to get him in space type of player, or does he become a 15 to 18 carry type of guy because those carries are available? Because I don't know if that's Gibbs' strength. I like getting him in space eight to 12 times a game and see if he could break one. Um, so I'm not sure if he's actually going to replace David Montgomery here this week. That's what I think is a mistake in terms of deployment. Like you have a guy like Jameer Gibbs who skews towards that sort of in-space type of player, running back receiver hybrid. But the reason he skews towards that is because he's fast as hell, athletic and explosive. Now, athletic, explosive and fast plays between the tackles as well because it means if you get through the line, you can be gone. And, okay, you might have less chance of making it through the line than a dude who's a stocky power back that can break a tackle, you know, an arm tackle from a defensive lineman at the line to get through to the second level. But I'm not 100% sure that that's true. Like, this was, this was the fallacy with Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott for years, right? 
And yet on the same run concepts, inside zone, power, Tony Pollard was making more bigger plays because he of his explosion and his burst and his, his acceleration straight through the line. Like there's data now to say that the most important thing for running success is that explosive ability. So I actually think this idea of you don't want to take a sort of smaller speed back and run them up the middle, I don't know that that's true anymore. I think I don't know if it was ever true, but certainly that was the conventional wisdom for a long time. Now I think you actually want to use that guy like a running back because that's how you're that's just how you're going to get him the most targets in the most normal way possible and maximize the fact that he's an explosive playmaker. Like my my appeal to the Detroit Lions at this point, 2 weeks into the season is like stop trying to come up with fantastic creative ways to get Jameer Gibbs the ball in space. You just got a running back injured. Just start giving him those carries, and you might be surprised that he turns them into 150 rushing yards off like three, you know, explosive plays through the line. Just do that. Detroit's depth absolutely being challenged on the defensive side of the ball, in particular. C.J. Gardner Johnson, he's on injured reserve. James Houston on injured reserve. It, I think what looked like a really nice pass rush for Detroit coming into the season so far has been Aiden Hutchinson and friends. And, yeah. and what that looks like in games is the final play against Seattle where Hutchinson gets pressure and Geno Smith sidesteps him and throws the game-winning touchdown. Aiden Hutchinson was getting pressure against Patrick Mahomes, who did not get sacked, and just kept sidestepping the one pressure and you know getting the throw off. If Detroit is not unable, and I don't know how much it shows up in this game. Desmond Ritter has been dropping back like 20, 25 times a game here. But if Detroit can't find a way to get pressure, I don't know if they should be looking for to bring other people in. Yeah. Is Melvin Ingram still out there? Melvin Ingram could still come <laughs> in and grab five pressures a game. But Detroit needs help up front. Aiden Hutchinson's playing well. He's playing fine. You're not going to feel it, though, if he's the only guy pushing the pocket. That's e easier to avoid for a quarterback. I think that's a big issue for Detroit's defense right now, in addition to just injuries and you know being banged up on the back end and remember that's kind of the story from last year as well like that's why james houston exists because the other yeah. guys the aquaras the people that were supposed to be getting pressure opposite uh aiden hutchinson weren't and then they you know they gave this guy james houston a few snaps and he turned that into a few pressures and some sacks and all of a sudden it's like hey he's better already than anybody else we've got trying to give get pressure let's scale up his workload but the point being the starting point was that failure of anybody else to generate pressure these young guys that they had hadn't actually showed up and, and been uh factors and it's happening again so i agree with you i think that's a potential concern for that lions defense atlanta i've been impressed man i think we talked about their uh, additions this offseason and so far so good for a bunch of them repeated again david onyamata playing well jesse bates has had those big plays especially in week one Caden ellis Calais Campbell. Those guys are playing well. Falcons defense, it's very early, but lowest completion percentage allowed on 10-plus yard throws on the defensive side of the ball. Bijan Robinson looks like an absolute star mm -hmm. and kind of similar to the Niners, but at a different level. You don't know which one of those freaky playmakers, a Drake London, a Kyle Pitts, a Bijan, is going to make the big play every single week. So Desmond Ritter's taking care of the ball. The formula is there, I think, for the Falcons. Makes this another... Really fun, intriguing game. I like the Lions at home. They Jared Goff plays. He played really well last week outside of the one pick six. And uh, Goff plays well at home. They're still scheming it up really well offensively in Detroit. 
I want to see the Gibbs stuff, but I think the Detroit's firepower, I think, is going to is going to show up here. Three-point spread. Where are you going with this one? I'll take the Lions to cover it. Yeah, it'll be a good test for that Atlanta defense, which is a lot better than it was a year ago. There's at least good players at all three levels, but it still might not have enough to combat a defense or an offense, rather, as good as Detroit can bring to the table. So I, I think this will be a fun game. Um, I tend to lean into Detroit a little bit. I think they're just a little bit more proven and assured across the board than Atlanta, who are a fascinating team to watch and a fun side, but I don't know if they have enough against Detroit. So the Lions to win and cover. Yeah, I think I think Detroit should match up a little bit better against Atlanta maybe than they did against Seattle, who came out chucking it and they couldn't get any pressure on Geno Smith. Um, so yeah, so we'll take in the Lions to cover the three. Uh, Indianapolis Colts, the last one o'clock game. Colts at the Ravens. Ravens favored by seven and a half. Colts starting quarterback Anthony Richardson in concussion protocol. I believe he might be about 50-50 to play, getting out of protocol in time. And then uh, Ravens, uh, we focused maybe too much on some of their injuries last week. They played a great game against the Cincinnati Bengals. They're 2-0 and and uh, starting to get the hype back around the league. Lamar Jackson played an excellent game against the Bengals. Patience, we're starting to see their new running game and Todd Monken's offense and what that looks like compared to Greg Roman. But 7.5 points here. Ravens favorite at home. Who? Which quarterback gives them a better chance to win the game, Richardson or Minshew? Wow, that's a good one. Um, I there's definitely a point where I think Anthony Richardson will surpass Gardner Minshew with that question. But Minshew's he's good, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's good. He's effective. He came in and and played really efficiently. I mean, I think if if you put Minshew on the Jets, I'm, I'm changing my tune a little bit. And I think the Jets are this really competitive team every week, you know, nine or 10 win team potentially. So I, I, I think it's close, though. I, I've been, I, I was impressed with Richardson in the limited time last week. Remember, he scored two touchdowns yeah. as a runner, and they, they've been leaning into that. So I might give Richardson a slight edge, but it's close because Minshew's one of the best backups in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's close. I think Richardson. Again, he's he's showing that the narrative on him from a lot of places pre-draft wasn't accurate. He isn't this, like, we're not seeing Justin Fields right now, right? This guy who looks wildly raw and incapable of operating a passing offense at the NFL level. Richardson knows what he's doing, and he's doing it to a reasonably high level, albeit with some mistakes in there as well. He's inexperienced, not raw, uh, which is what makes it close, I think, particularly when you add in what he can do on the ground as a ball carrier I tend to lean a little bit towards Minshew though I think he's just so much further ahead as a passer um, even if he can't do some of the things that Richardson could do I think he's less likely to put the ball in harm's way so it makes this game kind of interesting though because I think if Richardson doesn't go they're actually closer to winning it than if he does Um, but obviously you miss out on the developmental time and all that kind of stuff so you know, Baltimore looks good, as we expected them to. And the offense has to fundamentally change without Richardson in it, if that's the case. So they're they're an intriguing situation because a lot of these teams with unusual athlete quarterbacks deliberately try and find a backup that's vaguely similar. Like Lamar Jackson's backups, you know, they're all athletic. They're, they all move well in the run. They all uh, can be part of the designed run game. 
they're they're different players, but they're of a style, right? The Colts don't have that with Richardson. Like Minshew is a radically different quarterback to to Minshew. You don't want Minshew having designed quarterback power runs up the middle. Um, so the whole offense has to switch if he goes or not, which makes this week, I think, pretty difficult for them. Like, what do you what do you prepare for if you're the Colts going through this week? Yeah, I mean, because it is even when we were in training camp watching the Colts, the offenses look different. Minshew's making super quick decisions, very accurate. Richardson, you know, just missing more throws. But the the upside of Richardson, it's oversimplifying by using the word upside. But the upside to Richardson really is he had three carries for 30-something yards and two touchdowns the other day, right? It just brings a whole different dynamic to the offense. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a challenge to prepare for both. I think the we've mentioned the Colts offensive line is playing pretty well. Um, I, I'm, I am interested in that side of the ball. I think I think it's a toss-up as far as who, who gives them a better chance. I think the Ravens' offense, though, other than Lamar putting the ball on the ground a couple times in week one, they've been really efficient, really effective. They're still running the ball at a similar level of efficiency as they did with Greg Roman. It's just a different style. Um, I'm sad that Tyler Lindebaum has, was hurt last week because – they're using more outside zone. They're using more get their linemen into space. And I think Linderbaum, the playmaking center, is going to be a great fit for this offense. Morgan Moses is crushing people, as we tweeted out earlier today. I, I like the way Baltimore's playing. And Lamar, as I said, knowing where to go with the ball. I think the mismatch at receiver, Zay Flowers, OBJ, if he's healthy, I think the Ravens can have success against this Colts cornerback room, as I say every single week. I like Baltimore a lot the way they're playing. Those Plus, they're linebackers, man. When you talk about if Richardson's playing, the speed at linebacker for Baltimore, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, that's something to keep an eye on as well to to mitigate Richardson's running ability. Those receivers for Baltimore, I think, are stylistically a very bad matchup for Indianapolis. The the DBs that the Colts have assembled, you know, this sort of long, athletic, speed type player. Now you have to deal with the. You know, the human joysticky type moves of Zay Flowers and even OBJ skews in that kind of direction as a receiver, like a more compact uh, change of direction guy. That feels like a problematic matchup for those Colts uh, cornerbacks. But um, I do think that that Colts team is actually quite good on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, the, the I think the Colts, both, both lines can keep them in games. I, I do agree with that. I think the Colts are going to be... They'll, they'll be a challenge. It should be a good game. I, I think Baltimore, um, OBJ's questionable. It what did not practice yesterday. I don't know how how that's going to work. I'm buying into Baltimore, though, and just, yeah, even just their defense, getting Odafe Owe also injured. But they're, a lot of their shrewd moves over the last couple of years, Roquan Smith and Morgan Moses, a lot of those moves, I think, are starting to show up on the field because Lamar's healthy and they're looking good. So I'm buying into Baltimore. Seven and a half is a lot, but I like the Ravens, man, at home. Uh, I'm going to go with the Colts covering that. I think that's too big a number. Your fault. You're uh, you're liking the Colts here lately, mm -hmm. it seems. That's it. That's my comment. Okay, good one. Yeah. Let's get to the 4 o'clock games. I'm disappointed in the 4s. I wish we could. They should have flex scheduling where we can say, instead of Cowboys, Cardinals, and Bears, Chiefs, we could just say, hey, Cowboys and Chiefs, why don't you guys play this week? 
I don't that even, would be better. I don't even care about the games that they're putting on at the fours. What pisses me off is why is there only three games? Like, why Why does the... How can we not split this more evenly every single week? Like, why is this th- that hard? There should never, ever be just three games in the 4 p.m. spot. Even no. it up. I, I like a good four. I like a good four games in the 4 p.m. spot. You get the four-box YouTube mix. Um, but the nine... I, my two TV setup can't even handle <laughs> the nine games in the one o'clock window. Yeah, I have to right. have a, a third screen. Can you get it's, an eight? Isn't it's there ridiculous. An eight box? There's no eight box mix. There's no eight box no eight for Directv. It's two fours. And who knows if the two fours will? They don't even put the <laughs> games where it's like here's this four and here's that four. They don't even do that right now. Let's go YouTube TV. Make it simple. Uh, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I had to take the other night. I think two games at one time is perfect. I can give attention to both. I could split the screens. I could go two different TVs. There's no, there's less downtime. I think two TV. We should just go two games at a time throughout the day. So I asked this to Trev on Tuesday. How do you handle the sound for multiple games? Oh, you, um, I was at my buddy's house the other day. He's a, he was like so mad at me because he can only focus on one thing. I actually keep sound up for multiple games yes and i've trained my ear to listen for the crescendos right so you go back and forth <laughs> so i'm not switching i'm i have both i have sound on for both games that was and you appeal to the crescendo you yes. gotta respond to it that was my take i was saying look i think you're yeah. actually better off doing separate screens even if one of them is like a crappy laptop or an ipad or whatever because you can have the sound on both the problem with the split screen on youtube is you can only have the sound on one which means you automatically right. don't even pay attention to the other game because you sound get distracted yeah i agree so that's how i usually do it if i'm in my home setup two tvs i'll have both on um, Island game, I'll have the TV on both games. I'll have one on delay, so I can always see a replay. It's a whole system. All right, 4 o'clock, Carolina Panthers at the Seattle Seahawks. This is like the best game of the 4 o'clock. Uh, Seattle's favored by 6, coming off their big win against Detroit. Panthers 0-2, struggling so far offensively. What are you looking for in this one? Uh, I mean, signs of life from Carolina's offense. Like, that's that's a struggling group right now. Um, again, my, my thing for them is, can they just get through the season without damaging Bryce Young from a developmental point of view? Because he's got nobody to throw to. The offensive line isn't good, but it's being made look worse by the fact that he has nobody to throw to. And it can't be helping his growth and development to be in this situation right now. So they need to figure something out in terms of scheming guys open or find a receiver from somewhere but he just needs some help at the moment crisis from the basement well this is what you really want to happen when you're live (laughs) all right so let's talk about this solo a little bit while steve reboots the uh the internet from the parents basement house yeah i mean i'm looking for signs of life from that carolina offense there haven't really been any so far this year i don't know that they have the capacity to completely shift the system and try and you know, carry with the run game, try and take pressure off that way. They they need to figure something out schematically. The other side of the ball, I mean, or the other side of the, the other team, Seattle, I thought, had a huge bounce back game last week. Like, they did not look good at all week one. Obviously, we know the, the level of competition they were going up against, but that was a huge bounce back game for them against Detroit. They were able to, you know, execute on offense a lot better. That trio of receivers they have is is formidable um 
And their defense, I think, gave up a ton of points, but they were able to make a couple of big plays when it needed. The big thing for Seattle is they still don't really have a pass rush, right? They've they've not had that for a while, but they're going up against this Carolina team who we talked about an offensive line struggling in part because they don't have anybody um, – they don't have anybody open. Bryce Young can't get anything done. Bryce Young is feeding into that a little bit himself. That sack for Carl Granderson in the, the game on Monday night. I mean, that was a play where Bryce Young needs to get rid of that ball, right? Those are the kinds of plays where they can make you look like you have a pass rush that isn't necessarily there. So Seattle's pass rush has struggled for a while now. Can they get something going against Bryce Young and that Carolina offense, even if it's not necessarily an indication about of how good they are um i guess somebody in the chat is asking my take on jonathan mingo given how high i was on him coming into the draft i started to get concerned about mingo in the limited preseason we saw from them um i still think he's an incredibly talented playmaker but i think it's going to be i think it's going to take a while like he didn't seem on the same page as bryce young Throughout that preseason, he seemed to make a few mental errors in terms of being late to the play, that kind of thing. I still think Mingo can be a successful part of this offense, but I don't know if it's going to happen this year. Like, I think that's going to be a work in progress. The internet's working in the basement again, Steve? It was the... My my whole computer froze. No. That has not happened since the late 90s. (laughs) Couldn't do anything. I don't know what happened there. Beautiful. Did um, Did you pick up the slack for me? I apologize. I mean, yeah, I, I, I did what I could. I talked to uh, Bryce Young, how he's fo- feeding into the struggles they had. Um, the chat mentions that he's got an ankle injury right now as well. That's not going to help things. My overall point is that Panthers offense looks rough. It might help make the Seattle deficiencies look good, like they might find a pass rush this week because the Panthers yeah. offense stinks, um, at which point – you know, it's it's what can Seattle's offense do against Carolina's defense, which I haven't really talked about yet. Andy Dalton could play in this one. I think we've got a questionable Bryce Young. He did not participate in Wednesday, uh, Wednesday's walkthrough with the ankle. I mean, um, nobody nobody really wants to see that, but it would be some fascinating A-B testing in terms of how functional this offense can be. Like, at the moment, it doesn't look like anybody's open. It doesn't look like the offensive line is good. Uh, and Bryce Young is not helping that, or at least not able to help that at the moment. Uh, maybe I think I think Dalton, Dalton might have that in. quick hitting, yeah. get the underneath stuff That's what going I'm type of. Maybe type Andy of game. Dalton is able to come in, execute some quick schemed offense, execute some quick game. The offensive line looks better because of it, and the whole offense kind of gets lifted. And okay, that's not helpful necessarily because it's like, well, Bryce Young's part of the problem. But it, I mean, it would be interesting just in terms of analysis. Yeah, I think I think that's possible. I mean, it still looks bad on paper. Guys aren't getting open beyond five yards and the O-line and everything. Um, you mentioned the right thing, though, too, with Seattle. They need to find a pass rush. This should be the week. I thought last week might be uh, – um, I thought a couple weeks ago, actually, Seattle should have had success against the Rams. They did not. Seattle's got to get a little bit better defensively here. Um, their offense started clicking last week with the pass game and – Tyler Lockett was fantastic. DK Metcalf before his injury started to see last year. Geno Smith. They continue to bounce back after disappointing Geno Smith games. And I got to hand it to Geno and Seattle for for getting back on track last week and also mitigating disaster up front with the two starting tackles hurt. They had the two backups, Forsyth and Kerhan, 
played pretty well. So, yeah, I like Seattle. That's why they're favored by six here. Um, I'm just curious to see what they can do defensively against a, a really struggling Panthers offense here. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, I... <sighs> Again, this this feels a little bit like the Minshew Richardson thing, where I think their chances of having success improve if Andy Dalton does play. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's enough to offset the gap between the two teams, but uh, I hate it, I hate it. But I'm going to lean Carolina covering that six. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to lean Carolina as well. I'm going to change it. I had Seattle. Seattle doesn't feel like the team that's going to cover a six, <laughs> but even if even if they're good. So give me uh, give me the Panthers just kept it close. They were at home, but they just kept it close with New Orleans. I'll take Carolina to cover the six. All right, a couple 12-and-a-half-point spreads here in the 4 o'clock window. Dallas Cowboys at the Arizona Cardinals. NFC East matchup. The Cardinals just going through the a- NFC East gauntlet here. Old-school matchups every week mm. to start the season. Um, Cowboys favored by 12-and-a-half against the Cardinals, who are 0-2. Yeah. What do we say about this? I mean, Arizona have been playing closer than we thought they would to start the season. They're still bad. I mean, the talent isn't there, but they've actually been functional, and it hasn't been a free-for-all, and the defense hasn't just been soft, weak zone and letting you know people do what they want. That being said, Dallas looks legit. Uh, you know, that defensive line looks terrifying. Josh Dobbs has been solid, but... God, this is a totally different prospect this week. Yeah, I I got some questions about, hey, how does Mike McCarthy's offense look so far? And I don't think we've learned a lot about Mike McCarthy calling plays versus Kellen Moore. We have a game where the the Giants game got out of hand almost immediately. And then last week, I think the Cowboys played the game that the Bills should have played on Monday Night Football against the Jets, which was take all the underneath stuff, don't do anything stupid. And take care of the ball. And Dallas did a really nice job of that outside of one, have to mention, the dropped pick six opportunity from Dak. Um, That's the only turnover-worthy play this year for Dak Prescott. Um, I think it shows how ridiculous it is talking about Dak Prescott's interceptions. Like, if Sauce just catches the ball and runs straight, it's a touchdown. And somebody might be talking about, Dak's interceptions are creeping up again. Is that going to come back to bite? But Sauce dropped it, so nobody remembers. Um, but I don't even want to harp on that because Dak, ha- that's his one bad play. Other than that, he has done a good job taking what's there and t- picked up four or five first downs with his legs when needed. But the offense hasn't had to do much in Dallas, and I don't know if they will in this game. It's like, just trust the defense and don't screw it up for another week and just get to... Uh, New England and San Francisco the next couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they, yeah, they, they've been operating on a different grading curve to, that they're going to need to operate on for you know, other times of the year. So I think you're right. It's difficult to get too much information from what that offense has been like because they just haven't been challenged yet. Um, and theoretically, they shouldn't be challenged in this game either. So we shouldn't need to see the full extent of it. Like that defense... I would imagine will absolutely suffocate the Cardinals' offense, which is going to give Dallas's offense a very low bar to have to clear to win this game comfortably. Um, so, I mean, I think it's going to be fairly a fairly routine victory, but it's a big number to have to cover. Uh, blocking Micah Parsons is obviously Impossible. never fun, uh, but you get to see a little DJ Humphreys. You get to see Paris Johnson. You get to. You know, some decent one-on-one individual matchups in there. But, yeah, Arizona's overwhelmed here against Dallas. I think the Cowboys Cowboys have not only a very good team, but 
unlike what I just said about Seattle, who kind of play to you know play to their competition, Dallas dominates when they should, and I think they'll dominate this game and cover the twelve and a half. They so motion at the moment is like the newest cheat code thing, right? For years, it was play action, and uh, there's a lot of things that are sort of simple, easy buttons that can just add percentage points to what you're doing on either side of the ball. Motion on offense is the current thing that the Dolphins, the 49ers, and the Chiefs, I think, are all using motion like 80% of the time this season. To me, the biggest cheat code button on defense to push is stunts. How often you're using stunts up front because it throws chaos into an offensive line who now have to not block individually but have to block as a unit like at the same like in tandem there has to be uh synchronicity with the guard and the tackle and the center and all this kind of thing so for dallas dallas uses stunts more than any team in the nfl which just feels cheating <laughs> you've got micah parsons who's already basically unblockable one-on-one and now you throw the chaos of stunts into the equation like it's impossible to stop you're absolutely right man that's why i that's been a couple years running now they've done that it was almost like dan quinn coming from that seattle tree who rarely change anything right gus bradley's in indianapolis running the same stuff they were running in 2013 that's not a knock because he's overall effective it's just what they do but dan quinn changed and did lean into those cheat codes and now it isn't just micah parsons against tackles it is like hey the center has to be ready like last week when he's looping around the guards have to be ready and you have to communicate and oh by the way you have to be in perfect position because these guys are good pass rushers as well so it is um I- i've been impressed by what dan quinn has done there in dallas and i think it's a big win for dallas that dan quinn didn't go and take head coaching jobs because he's had opportunities the last couple of years through two games the dallas defense is generating pressure on 62.8 percent of passing plays like the league leader over a season is generally at forty five percent max. 40. That number might be off, Sam. That might that number might be double counting some. Forty to forty five, but they are often a world by themselves. Like they yes. are so far ahead of anybody else, they are generating pressure at an absurd rate. Uh, absolute absurd rate. Apologize if I was leading you astray. In uh, ultimate, we need a better way to organize that properly. Hmm. Uh, where are you going? Twelve and a half here. Dallas favored. I feel like it's a comfortable win by Dallas. I just don't know if it gets to 12 and a half. Um, I think that's a lot of points to be covering. I'm going to lean. I'm going to lean Arizona. I'm going to give them one benefit of the doubt to cover this. And then I'm out. One more week. I mean, their point differential is only minus seven. So to your point, they have been uh, outplaying, I think, our expectations. Um, The last four o'clock game, Chicago Bears at the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs are also favored by 12 and a half. Um, a pretty dramatic day at Hallis Hall yesterday in, in Chicago. All sorts of stuff happening. Defensive coordinator Alan Williams resigns. Uh, Nathan Peterman was released and brought back. Uh, but Justin <laughs> Fields, speaking to the media, basically says, uh, I'm thinking too much. When asked why, he sa- they asked if it was the coaches. He said, no, it's a coach. It was like a whole, um, the whole media cycle happened around this. Yes. Like, I mean, Justin Fields was just being honest, and all he was doing was describing exactly what we were seeing on the field. Is he's he's thinking too much about something because he's missing open receivers, holding the ball for five or six seconds, and taking negative plays. Something is off there, and I think he was just trying to convey that in his media session. Yeah, it's one of those interesting 
sagas where everybody's wrong <laughs> so it starts off and they yeah they they're interviewing or they're asking fields about like, well, what's going on what's causing you to, to blah blah and he answers the first words out of his mouth were coaching right and everyone like that's the at that point everybody in the room stops listening right because they were like oh my god he just said coaching quick fire off the tweet fire off the report like headline guy is just chopping up Justin Fields slams coaching for yada yada so that's that becomes the story and then Fields has to walk this back and try and clarify and come out and he does this thing that has become just a knee-jerk comment now which is like uh you know you guys uh you took my words out of context you you know misrepresented it's like I mean they didn't really <laughs> like you said that now you have to what you really want to say is I misrepresented what I tried to say. You know, I was careless with my words and it potentially sounded like I was blaming my coaches when in actuality I was just trying to describe what I'm struggling with at the moment, yada, yada. But like, they literally printed your quotes. They, the, the video was out there. You weren't like taken out of context. You simply were sloppy with the words you used, right? And that's why players don't say anything, because as soon as they get slightly sloppy with anything they say, it becomes a news story and it becomes the thing. So, like, everyone was wrong, right? Fields should have been more careful with what he said. The reporters that seized on that as the thing understood what he was trying to say and instead decided to print something else. And then Fields, you know, should have just owned it instead of saying, you guys, this is all your fault. Like, everyone's an asshole. That was my that was my takeaway from that. And at the heart of it, all he did was describe exactly what we see on film. Yeah. He was basically saying, hey, I've got a lot going through in my head. And if you see this, do that. If you see that, do this. If you see this, do that. Right. And, and Fields was the heart of it was like, hey, this week I'm going to play free. I'm going to play my game. He's overthinking. Which, I, yes, he's overthinking, which comes from the coach. Right. The coach is right. like, hey, if you see this coverage, do that. If you see this thing, don't forget to adjust. And that's why. They have four receivers out to the same side. He's staring at it and missing two open touchdowns and taking a sack instead because clearly there's too much going on in his brain. Now, is that the coach's fault? Is that Fields' interpretation of how he should read it? Should he already be playing his game and going one read? And I don't know what it looks like other than Fields' claims. This week, he's going to play freer, play his game, play more reactionary, which is the goal of every NFL player anyway. That's how you want to play the game of football. Yeah, I mean, I've been asking for the week, like, it, which is it? Which is it? Either one of them is bad, but which is, is actually happening? Is he simply not reading or seeing the correct picture? Or is more concerning, is he seeing the correct picture and is paralyzed by this internal analysis and isn't able to pull the trigger on anything? And to me, those comments from him suggested that it's more like the latter than the former. Like he's reading things okay, but is frozen, like can't do anything with it. And is just is consequently then taking a sack on a play where there were like four open targets at any point in the play. Um, I do kind of wonder, I mean, I feel like it, he probably plays better if he just starts playing free. Like even if that is, if that reduces him all the way down to one read and run, we get a better version of Justin Fields than we've seen in the first two weeks. The problem with that is, like, where do you build from there? Because one run, one read and run, it can function in the NFL, but it can't be good, right? So if we expect this guy to be good, how do we build from he is currently a one read and run quarterback 
to I'm going to need you to get somewhere over here. And right now you're showing that you can't do that. That that I think poses a very difficult problem for Chicago if this like if if this reversion from him to like instinctive play actually works and they he plays better and the offense looks better. I don't know how you'd take that to where they need him to be in the next 10 weeks. Compare that to how we always describe Lamar Jackson and now we describe Anthony Richardson where we say, if you say Lamar Jackson just runs around and make plays, you're not actually watching the game because he doesn't play that way. Lamar Jackson does sit in the pocket, goes through his reads, and then, oh, by the way, he'll run 10 to 15 times, sometimes mostly as part of the design game and sometimes as a scrambler. But he is a passer first. Um, Anthony Richardson appears to be trying to become a passer first, and then they lean into their ability to run later. Josh Allen, same thing, obviously, um, is going to get most of his yards as a scrambler when things break down. So we don't have a whole lot of evidence of what you're describing, literal one to two reads and go from Justin Fields. I'm not sure that's exactly what it's going to be. I did see people theorizing that, hey, this offseason, they said, hey, we're going to run less and we're going to develop as a passer, both Fields and the coaching staff. We we had heard reports that's what happened back in the day with RG3. Remember, RG3 was Rookie of the Year in 2012. He comes back. He's like, hey, I want to throw. I want to play like Kirk Cousins. And, and disaster struck, right? He was unable to right. play the same type of game, didn't lean into his athleticism. So I think that's the tricky part here is when you try to be try to improve your weaknesses and you don't lean into your strengths enough, it can be ugly. And that's what it's happened these, these first couple weeks. Um a lot of turmoil all over the place in Chicago. Kansas City on the other side, they've got this has to be their get right game. They yeah. scored 37 points in two weeks in two games. Mahomes is still Mahomes. He's our second highest graded quarterback and I think they're going to put up a ton of points. Travis Kelsey another year another week removed from the knee injury. I think they're going to put up a ton of points and just crush the Bears because they should. Um yeah, like this feels I you know, we do all this analysis and data and X's and O's and stats and information. Given everything that is currently happening to Chicago, this chaos that's going on off the field that nobody seems to have a particularly firm handle on exactly what it is, I feel like that's going to have a significant impact on this game. And it's going to go one of two extremes and nothing in the middle. Either this is one of those like siege mentality galvanizes Chicago and they go out there and they ball yep. and they just pull together and this is the best version of them. Or it's like an unmitigated shit show start to finish and they get wrecked by like 30 points to Kansas City. Yeah. And it's we, nothing in the middle. We wake up Monday morning and we say, of course they lost 49 to 10. What could they do right. in that building? And or they play hard. Right. And, and it's going to be like nothing in the middle. And I have no idea which one is more likely. Yeah, I I think it's going to be the blowout, not because of anything crazy emotional or anything, but I think Kansas City's due offensively, and their defense has been good. And Chris Jones is back, and he's unblockable, and I don't care if Justin Fields is playing his game or not. I think Kansas City's getting pressure. Braxton Jones, left tackle, also put on injured reserve yesterday as well. The guy had played really well last year as a fifth-round rookie, played well uh early this year that's a another tough loss for the bears i'll take the chiefs to cover the 12 and a half we got three more games to get through you have a hard out we could talk about fields and the bears all day do you have anything else to add though um no i'll take that, kansas city to cover you know, i'll let you go as i say i i don't i don't know if the rest of it matters it's more like how the hell chicago is going to react to this chaos and as i say it's flip a coin which way it's going to go i kind of feel like they're in a descending spiral, and this might be a get-right spot for Kansas City, so I'll pick them. 
All right, so we're both taking the Chiefs to cover the 12 and a half. Sunday night football, Pittsburgh Steelers at the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders favored by two and a half here, a couple one-on-one teams, uh, one-in-one teams. Um, Pittsburgh's offense is in, you know, every chart that you see, every way that you slice it, Pittsburgh's offense is at a different level of poor mm. right now. Um, again, we might look back at what they've faced and say, hey, they faced the Niners defense, they faced the Browns defense. That's actually as difficult of a start as you could have. But also Pittsburgh's offense is a part of that. <laughs> they're uh they're pass blocking, they're you know, Kenny Pickett not playing well, uh Matt Canada scheming it up. It's all bad on Pittsburgh. But we saw last week their defense can win games for them. They can win with defensive touchdowns. I'm not saying they'll do that every week, but that has been the staple. As long as TJ Watt is healthy and out there, they have a potential game changing defense. So should be a fun matchup, Steelers and Raiders. Yeah, I, I mean I, I can't even sort of take like Monday night didn't do anything to make me more confident with Pittsburgh, given where I was preseason. Like their offense still looks awful. Kenny Pickett was disastrous. Um, everything was bad. Uh, we covered the Miles Garrett impact or lack of impact, but the whole offense looked poor. The only thing they ever got going was George Pickens when they tried to force feed him the ball a little bit. And honestly, that should be a pretty big part of the offense right now. But the whole thing is a mess. Um, the Raiders' defense is not good. They, you know, Max Crosby is the one source of pressure that they have that's reliable. He has 10, I think, pressures through two weeks. Nobody else has more than two. Uh, if, if Pittsburgh can figure out a way of limiting the damage that Max Crosby does, if they can't get it going against the Raiders' defense, they're never going to get it going. Uh, rookie Tyree Wilson, you know, so when we do win percentage, the pass rush win rate that is all the rage this week across the interwebs, when we're calculating this, we're taking out plays that are cleanup pressures, that are pursuit pressures, that are just basically late in the down. So we're looking at pass rush win rate. Did you win within the flow of the play? So Tyree Wilson, the rookie developmental edge, I know he missed training camps coming off a foot injury, but he has a win percentage of zero right now, has not won a rep by our numbers at PFF. He does have a sack, so that doesn't go to the win rate column. It's still a pressure. He gets credit for the sack. But it was a pursuit sack where Russell Wilson had held the ball for about five or six seconds. My point is, yeah, that's that's where the help needs to come from, Sam. They need yeah. rookie Tyree Wilson to step up and do something here. Um, and we've seen the Raiders, you know, their defense I thought was promising in week one against Denver. They got uh, pretty well torched in the run game against Buffalo. Josh Allen picked them apart. So which Raiders defense shows up here? I think they're always playing with fire because of their ability, inability to affect the quarterback to your point beyond max crosby definitely um and then the other side of the ball i, th- I mean the, the good news for pittsburgh is i thought that defense looked very good i mean we've you know yeah. the, the the furore around uh, alex highsmith and tj watt like those guys did make game-changing plays they both were the top two graded players on that defense the steelers defense has an array of impressive game-changing players and you know, that's going to put some pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. Now the Raiders offensive line has been really good, particularly from a pass blocking standpoint and it's been moving in that direction for a couple of years now. So that's that's a good push and pull type battle how that Pittsburgh pass rush gets pressure against Jimmy G. Uh Raiders have not gotten Josh Jacobs going at all through two games. Pittsburgh has been hit or miss from a run defense standpoint over these last couple of years. Feels like a game where that is what the Raiders want to do. Last year's leading rusher, Josh Jacobs. Uh, they had a lot of games last year where he was the guy, man. You know, 
there's probably two or three running backs every year that can carry a team. Josh Jacobs was one of those guys last year. You know, overtime, walk-off, touchdowns, and the whole deal. So this needs to be a get-right game, I think, for the Raiders' run game. They're going to try that. They played um, – it's their first home game, which, again, it, you know, that can skew perception sometimes when a team hasn't played home yet. So I think the Raiders might surprise some people in this one, and I think that's a big part of why they're why they're favored by two and a half. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel- know. I don't know where I want to go here. That feels like a lot for two teams that are might be evenly matched here. Yeah, I think I'm going to give Pittsburgh one more week to prove yeah. something. Um, I like their defense. I think they're going to have a lot of joy against the Raiders, but that offense has been awful for the first couple of weeks, and if that doesn't improve, they're not going anywhere. And theoretically, the Niners and Browns defensively should be at a whole different level from the Raiders. So if there's a week for the Pittsburgh to get back on track, it's this week. All right, I'll take Pittsburgh as underdogs here on Sunday Night Football. Last year, it was a Christmas Eve they played. Kenny Pickett, late game magic. See if they can uh, get back to that here. All right, another week of two Monday night football games. First one, Philadelphia Eagles at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Eagles favored by four and a half here. What are you looking for in this one? First Monday night football game as part of the doubleheader. Yeah, can you know? Can Baker keep the train rolling? Um, he's been playing well, but I think the heavy lifting has been done by that offense, the scheme. Like they're not asking him. They're not, they don't need him to work through a massive progression most of the time. Like, number one is open half the time. They're doing a good job of, of doing that, particularly on third down. Baker knows where to go with the ball. He's getting it where it needs to go, and they're not having to ask him to, to figure out that on the fly. Like, if that continues, it's a good mesh. It's a good matchup of quarterback and an offensive scheme, and it can be productive with the receivers that they have. So Philadelphia's defense – Still has a really good defensive line, but they're banged up on the back seven. Can they contain that Bucks offense? Yeah, I, I haven't been impressed with the Eagles on the back end. You know, we talk about the secondary and coverage in general and, you know, that the, the fluctuation of performance year over year, even with good names back there and James Bradbury and Darius Slay, uh, you know, it's, it hasn't been great through two weeks. Um, in part because they're you know they're playing teams that are playing catch up. They got big leads in both games, and you have the Patriots throwing the ball like crazy, and the Vikings throwing the ball like crazy. So that's a part of it. But yeah, the Eagles still have that that defensive front that will challenge the Bucks' offensive line that has played well to this point. But I don't think they've they've faced you know the Bears' pass rush and the Vikings' pass rush. They have not faced anything like the Eagles. So this is Baker Mayfield under pressure now. Baker Mayfield in a hey. My dad's here. Yes. You made another appearance. Steve's come come dad, say hi to everybody. Every, you're a big, you're a oh, big yeah. star. Hi, yes. boys, girls, yes. everyone. Yeah, big star on the PFF NFL podcast. Oh, here. yeah. Brought me my dunks. Appreciate it. The people Have fun, guys. All right. Yes. The see? people were, were demanding Papa Palazzolo get back in the podcast. It's happened. Love it. If we could, uh, Yeah. Dad's dad's got a big surgery going tomorrow, so we're here to visit and support him and everything. So it was good to good to get him on the show. Yeah, good um, good uh, thoughts and prayers and everybody's good luck, uh, whatever they do to Papa Palazzolo. Thank you. We'll take all of it. Um, so yeah, Eagles defensive front against the Bucks. Look, I, I think Baker deserves a ton of credit for how well he's played. I think he's playing faster and seeing it better you're right though it is a it's a good scheme with some decent playmakers out there they're just going to be challenged by this eagles defensive line here yeah 
No, I think that's true. Like the Eagles defensive line now needs to do a lot of work because the back seven is rough. So that's a big task for them. Um, Philadelphia's offense, man, I, they ran the ball like crazy against Minnesota. I don't think you're going to see that against the Bucs. Generally good up front well, as far as uh, their run defense goes. Todd Bowles is going to stack the box and, you know, probably put – he's going to blitz. He's going to blitz Jalen Hurts like crazy. And I feel like Hurts is a little hit or miss against the blitz, right? He'll beat the blitz with his legs sometimes. Now he's got playmakers to throw it up to. This feels like one of those games where the Bucs are going to create some havoc and we're sitting there in the fourth quarter saying, man, the Bucs are playing it tough. Or Hertz is going to hit some of those big plays and the Eagles are going to run away with it. Where do you What do you think is going to happen on that side of the ball? Yeah, Jalen Hurts has generally been very good against the Blitz in his NFL career. But that offense I don't think has looked right yet this season. Now, he's been really good against the Blitz this season, but it's you know obviously a really small sample size. So it is that kind of high leverage gamble that can you know can pay off or can be disastrous i think generally speaking it's been a mistake to blitz jalen hurts um but maybe it's maybe now's the time like maybe you do that when things aren't quite right and it's not firing on all cylinders now you add in the chaos of the blitz and let's try and really create some some pressure around that i that's going to be i think the matchup of the game is how much they're going to do that and whether they can scheme up that pressure and, and hurts gets back to where he was or the the sort of malaise of the first two games of the season continues. But I think it's probably a gamble worth taking for the Bucs. Um, I know the Bucs are 2-0 and here. It will be fascinating to see that dynamic, right? Todd Bowles is going to – he's going to attack and blitz. I, we learn a lot more about the Bucs here, right? The, the Vikings, they, they might not be great, you know, and they beat them in week one by a touchdown, by a field goal. To beat the Bears pretty handily. We already know how how bad the Bears are right now. This is where we learn about the Bucks, And I think for the Eagles, they beat New England. They beat Minnesota. Can they, you know, re- reestablish themselves as one of the top teams in the NFC? The, the, the style points aren't there for Philadelphia. I'm not saying that's what you need, but it's certainly trending like Dallas looks like a much stronger team right now than – or stronger team, at least, than Philadelphia. They're supposed to be the two teams competing in the NFC East. I think Philadelphia is still a better team. I want to see it on the field here. Do they dominate both lines of scrimmage, which they're capable of doing? Do they dominate on the outside with AJ Brown and Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts? Hasn't really played a, a hasn't played great. Hasn't been bad. Hasn't played great though in two weeks. Can Philadelphia look like they did last year? I think they will, and um, I think they're going to on the road here cover the four and a half. Yeah, I'm going to buy them covering as well. Um, but I think the Bucks have been more impressive than I think we expected them to be so far this year. Absolutely. Top-notch credit. I mean, Baker Mayfield's been outstanding on third down. Um, I just think it's going to be a bigger challenge than they faced, obviously, this week with the Eagles. The last one, Los Angeles Rams coming to town facing the Cincinnati Bengals. I wonder if we can get Zach on the show Monday morning or something. Do you think we can... Sneak him over here? It sounds unlikely, but give it a shot. Very unlikely. He, he can't even get me tickets to the game. Yeah. He's useless. Um, anyway, just joking around. Uh, Rams, Bengals, Monday Night Football, Joe Burrow, calf watch is on here or there in Cincinnati, but Bengals favored by two and a half. What are you looking for in this one? Yeah, I mean, man, they can't play him, right? Like, if he tweaked the calf that he's been dealing with for six weeks, you can't put him back in the lineup right away i wouldn't have thought so what does a week of rest are we going to have a little injury analysis on the show tomorrow maybe yeah maybe that maybe joe burrow is the one to talk about um 
But I, my question is, what does one week of rest do? What does two weeks of rest do? Because right. he rested for six weeks in training camp, and two weeks into the season, it hurt again. Right, it's an issue. But he, but it seemed like, I mean, that with a soft tissue injury, that's like you just tweaked it again, right? But the only thing for it is rest. Like I don't think you can just strap it up and get back out there. It's there's something wrong with it. Like you need to wait until it's healed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to see Joe Burrow this week. That's what I'm saying. Um, if we do see Joe Burrow, it, you know, they bounce back from 0-2 last year. Got to get Jamar Chase involved. It feels – I can't tell – I don't know what we've seen from Cincinnati the first two weeks. Did we see an offense that has been notably more conservative because of Burrow's calf and they're trying to baby him a little bit? Because it's very horizontal. It's very safe. Um, they're They're not as explosive, not even close – is what they're capable of. Plus, Burrow's not playing well on top of that, right? They played a rain game. He's missing throws left and right, but he wasn't great. He was okay last week. It was better. Um, but we haven't seen a good offense through two weeks. So even if Burrow's back out there, are they going to you know start taking some chances, throwing the ball down the field, getting back to what they were previously? Yeah, no, it's a big question. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he can possibly play, which brings you back to the Jake Browning offense, and that's just a whole different world, and it's not a particularly pleasant world. So my assumption for Cincinnati at the moment is Burrow is not going to be playing in this game. If he is, though, you're right. Like He needs to just put the ball in the air and let those guys go make some plays, um, which you know should be doable against this Rams defense. To me, though, the more interesting side is the other side of the ball. Matthew Stafford is absolutely dealing at the moment the Bengals' defense, which is usually one of the better units in the league under Lou Anarumo, has not been as good as we expected it to be, or, or it has been in the past. Puka Nakua is setting records for you know production in his first couple of uh, starts from any player ever, and it's kind of legit. Like you watch his tape, he's good. He's, I mean, he's not doing anything particularly special, but the thing that leaps out is. His yards after the catch and his yards after contact. His yards after contact leads all NFL wide receivers. His yards after the catch, I think, is second. Um, but every single play, you know, he's catching a little hitch, turning upfield quickly, and then dragging somebody for three more yards. Like every play, he's dragging extra yards after contact. And, it, you know, even when Cooper Cup comes back into this lineup, I think they coexist well. I think he's a real find for them. Oh, yeah. Puka has been awesome, man. I mean, and, and you mentioned Stafford. I mean, I, I, again, I don't I don't know how good the offensive line is going to be for the majority of the season. I think it's um, it's a fragile Rams team in a different way than it was a couple of years ago. We called them fragile because of stars and scrubs. I think they're a little fragile because they're they're more dependent on Stafford now than they were in the Super Bowl year. I mean, he was awesome at various points in the Super Bowl year, but he also had some lulls where he wasn't great and they were still winning games because they had other other talents. But now it's just a lot on Stafford's shoulders and uh, in, in getting Puka involved and Tyler Higby at tight end. And um, they just traded Cam Akers. So it's, you know, Kyron Williams back there and that, that's their run game. But it's Stafford's team, man, like for real. And, you know, having him have to kind of deal every single week. And then defensively, right? I mean, could you, watching the youth movement, Kobe Turner getting some pressure next to Aaron Donald up there. And it's fun, man. They're they're a fun team. And they're I think they're the, the Rams are going to be more competitive, I think, than I anticipated. But if Stafford has a bad game, I think they're cooked, 
right? Other quarterbacks, you might be able to overcome it with other parts of the roster. They're cooked if Stafford doesn't play well. Yeah. But it's fun watching him try to carry the young the youngsters right now. No, absolutely. Um, but that to me is the really interesting side of the ball is like heading into the year, we would have expected this to be the Bengals defense giving real problems to the Rams offense. And in fact, when they joined scrimmage, you know, before last year, that's exactly the way it went. And now Stafford's dealing, Pukunakua is balling, Tutu Atwell looks like a real uh, factor as well. And Anarumo and the Bengals defense has not been as good as we expected it to be. All of a sudden, the advantage is almost with the Rams again. Can we do so? We're going to pick this game. Yep. Can we have it dependent on Joe Burrow playing? Oh, is that allowed? I mean, nobody's going to stop us, right? No, we can make our own rules. So I would take Cincinnati with Burrow and Rams with Browning. Yeah, I think that's where I'm going. I'm leaning with the Rams at the moment because I'm assuming Burrow isn't playing, but if he is, I want to change back to the Bengals. I'll change this. Um, we need to tally up our wins from previous weeks. I check my math, but I, I had, I think, eight and seven. Eight wins and then seven wins the first two weeks, and you had eight wins, then five wins. So it looks like I've got 15, you have 13 mm. through two weeks. Okay. So I'm, I'm leading early on here. Yeah. It's a big right around 500 for you. Um, I got to get Harry's picks for this week. There's some people in the Discord very uh, invested in uh, you versus Harry. Yeah. So we'll kind of keep him going. So I'll take the uh, the Rams or the Bengals, depending on who the quarterback is. Yes. Sound same. good? Yeah, that's what I'm doing too. Awesome. Well, I appreciate people bearing with us, um, bearing with me in particular from uh, my parents' basement. I'll be back in studio next week. And um, yeah, that was fun, man. Fun little preview. And uh, you'll be back tomorrow talking Thursday Night Football and some some injuries, right? Looking at injuries for this weekend? Yep. Uh, myself and Brad on talking about uh, Thursday Night Football and whatever else we come up with. And then Vic will be on talking injuries. Maybe we'll talk Joe Burrow, figure out what the hell the deal is there. Yeah, figure out what they should do there. All right, so that'll be live here on YouTube tomorrow morning. All right, that's it. Enjoy the football this weekend. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. I will see you again Monday morning with more PFF NFL Podcasts.